This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 2. Gospel of Luke, Chapter 2. I want to begin reading from verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, two Friday nights ago, I, I came home I was preaching away down in Seskinor, which is near Oma, and I came home quite late. It must have been about 11.30, quarter to 12. And uh, so I, I did a few things, and about 12.30 I thought, well, I better get to bed, even though I really wasn't tired, but I better get to bed because we have the, <laughs> the carol service that morning in the charity shop. And uh, so I shuffled off to bed about 12.30, and I think I must have got over about one o'clock. But then at two o'clock in the morning, I woke up choking, could not breathe. I don't know whether I'd been swallowing my tongue or what it was, but it was a horrible experience. And, and I started to cough and cough and cough and cough. Uh, and being the, the considerate, thoughtful, kind, <laughs> generous, loving husband. <laughs> <laughs> Sally's playing the fiddle here. <laughs> no sympathy <laughs> at all in our house. I decided that she wouldn't get asleep, so I, I better vacate to my study, which is at the, the two opposite ends of the house. Bedroom this side, study. I, I, farthest I could get away. There's about three or four doors you have to close. So I thought, well, at least I'll go in here and I can cough all night if necessary. And so I coughed and coughed from sure half an hour. And of course, I'm absolutely wide awake at this time. And uh, I thought, well, it sort of calmed down. I thought, well, I'll just read. I'll read and I'll pray and I'll meditate and all the rest of it. And I did that. And about four o'clock in the morning, I'm still wide awake. And I thought, I need to Google something. So I jumped onto the computer uh, in the study and was Googling away. And then at 4.20, bang, all the lights went out. Everything. Computers, heaters, everything gone. And I was sitting there for a moment or two thinking, have I done something here? Have I, <laughs> what have I done? And, uh, but then I realized, no, everything's gone, everything's out. And, uh, and I got up from my seat. Now, uh, of course, 
be in my house. I, I know the layout of my study, uh, the layout of the whole house. And I was saying, I, uh, I need to go here and I need to watch because there's piles of stuff on that side of the floor. My stool, where to leave my stool? Is it out or is it in? How many people know that your shin is a device <laughs> for finding furniture in the dark? You know that, don't you? And uh, so I'm standing here working this out. And then this thought came to me. Now, there was not a pinpoint of light, nothing, black as black I have ever seen in my life, nothing, because all the outside lights in the state was out, everything was out, even the little things in the wall, you know, the little lights in the wall, everything was out. And I was standing there thinking about this for a moment, and I thought to myself, I wonder, is this what it's like if you were completely blind? Not visually impaired, you know, with some sight, but totally and utterly blind. I wonder, is that what it's like for a completely blind person? And then my next thought was, is this what it's like when the Bible talks about being spiritually blind, living in darkness? My eyes were wide open, but I couldn't see anything. I looked around and there was nothing to see. I was completely and utterly blind to what was around me. And I wondered, is that what it's like to be in spiritual darkness? Your eyes are open, but you can't see it. You don't get it. It's not there. You can't understand or figure it. You know, when Jesus came into this world, he came into a world that was covered in gross darkness. Remember when Jesus was born, it was just at the end of that period between the Old and New Testament, that 400-year period between Malachi and Matthew. And during that time, there were several nations who had conquered Israel. And Israel spiritually was in a desperate state it was a time of darkness. Pagan Rome ruled. They were the dominant force at that particular time. They ruled all over the Mediterranean area, all over the Middle East, North Africa, Arabia, even as far away as Britain itself. So it was a massive, massive empire that was pagan, that was living and walking in darkness. And Israel at this time had by and large, forsaken the, their Abrahamic faith of their forefathers. Uh, and they were controlled by Phariseeism and Sadduceeism. Now, now, the Pharisees were separatists. They, they, they believed that they were the only ones really had the truth. They were the holders of the truth. And, and so they separated themselves. That, that's what it means. They separated themselves. But they were ritualists. They loved the rituals. They, they loved the ceremony. Uh, and even, even the rituals of the Old Testament that God instituted was not enough for them. They had their own. They added on to all of that, so-called to protect God's law. Uh, but in the end, it just burdened people. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you put burdens upon people uh, that they cannot bear and you won't even lift a finger to help them. And the Sadducees, they, they were rationalists. They, they did not believe in the supernatural at all. They, they did not believe in the resurrection. They had to rationalize everything. 
And, uh, and, and, th and that was the state of Israel at that time. These were the religious leaders of their day. Uh, by the way, <laughs> if you fast forward 2,000 years, you've still got those two groups with different names today. You've got the legalists. You know, the, the, the legalists who, who, who swallow a, a, a camel and strain it a gnat. Uh, and then you get the, the modernists who do not believe in the resurrection or believe in anything supernatural. So they're still with us today and in other guise. And so Israel was the, the one place in the world that, that where there should have been light. Uh, these were the one people in the world that should have known light. But for the most part, they were walking in spiritual darkness. Now, there was three great cultures in that day. As you know, there was the Roman culture, the Greek culture, and the Hebrew culture. And that's why Pilate put on the cross in three languages, you know, in Latin and in Greek and in Hebrew, that this is Jesus Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And, and if you were to ask these three great cultures of that day, are you walking in darkness? All of them would have said, no, of course not. The Romans would have said, darkness, look at what we have done. Look at our architecture. Look at what we have built. Look at our cities. We have libraries. We have educational centers. We have spas. We have recreation. We have circuses for the people. We are an enlightened people. We're, we're not walking in darkness. We have our gods. We have many gods. And Israel would say, we have the Torah. We have the writings. We have the prophets. God entrusted us with his sacred word. He entrusted us and nobody else in the world. And God would say, that's right, I did. You have that. But your vain traditions has made it null and void. You have rendered it ineffective because of your man-made traditions. And Greece would say, no, we're not walking in darkness because we have got great thinkers. We have Socrates, we have Plato, we have all these wonderful, enlightened thinkers. We are a people who made people to think for themselves. Certainly we're not walking in darkness. And yet God would say, you're still in your darkness. Uh, look at Romans 1, you know it so well, but just to remind yourselves, what Paul said here in Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So God says I have given you some life I have shown you some things, but you suppress it. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. The Romans and the Greeks, the Greeks especially, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. 
Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, when God does give light and men reject that light, all that is left is more darkness and further darkness and go to deeper into the darkness. This is what Paul says. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust one toward another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death. They'll only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I said that Israel, for the most part, was walking in spiritual darkness. But there was still a few, still a few who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Still a few who were true. Simeon was one such man who walked in the light. God will never be without a witness. Even in the darkest places on earth, God will have a witness. All we know of Simeon is written right here. We know nothing about this man before Christ. We know nothing about him after Christ. But what we do know about him was he was a just and a devout man. He was a godly, holy man. A man that was in tune with the Holy Spirit. This is pre-Pentecost, remember. But here's a man that was led and guided by and shown things by the Holy Spirit. And here was a man who was obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so he was a just and he was a devout man. And of course, we don't know how long he was waiting to see the consolation of Israel or the Messiah. Weeks, months, probably years, actually. But he was faithful and he would go to the temple and he would watch and he would pray. And no doubt he asked it to be, asked to be guided by the Spirit and he was and so he was obedient, and he would go, and he would watch, and he would see people bring their children, as was the custom of the law, uh, and watch to see, is this the one today? Will I see him today? Because the Holy Spirit had told him, you will not die until you've seen the Lord's Christ. And then one day it happened. He was standing watching, and Mary and Joseph come in. It was time for circumcision for the little baby Jesus. And as he was watching, the Holy Spirit said to him, he's the one. He's the one. And he walked over and he introduced himself. And there must have been something that was 
kindly and holy about this man. That these two gave their child to this complete stranger and trusted him. And he took little baby Jesus up in his arms and he blessed him and he began to prophesy about him and even to Mary about her. What a wonderful, precious moment that must have been. What a confirmation for Mary and Joseph, even though they already knew who he was. But what a tremendous confirmation that this good man, even though he was a stranger, could tell them this very thing. And so, one of the things he said when he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed him, he said these words, Now, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. King James says, A light to lighten the Gentiles to give revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Christmas reminds us that God sent his son into this world to be a great light, a light to lighten the Gentiles. It was a very dark world that men lived in. And you know, just as an aside this morning, just let me mention this. It was the appropriate time. It was the right time for Jesus to come to this earth. You know, the people who do, the statisticians who do populations and all the rest of it, reckon that everybody that has ever lived since time began until today is about 105 billion that means a lot of people has died and gone, isn't it? 105 billion. And out of that, only 2% of them lived before Christ came. Christ came when there would be an exponential population explosion. And God sent his son at the absolute right time. A time, as Jason said on Sunday, of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was an enforced peace, but it was a peace nonetheless all over the Mediterranean. And people could travel and they could trade and all the rest of it. And great shipping lanes were opened and great roadways were built by the Romans. All, all of our roads today, the model came from the Romans. The Romans were the inventors of concrete, by the way, too. So he was sent at the right time. The right time historically, the right time spiritually, when this great world was in darkness and was about to explode with populations of peoples all over the earth. And God sent a great light. In John 1, 1-5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or did not overcome it. That little baby in Simeon's arms would be God's great light 
to a dark and dying world spiritually. What a gift. What a present from the Almighty. What a great gift to give to this world. And one day, all the Gentile nations will see his light shine. And one day, one day he will be the glory of all Israel. Hallelujah. <laughs> and in Zechariah 12:10, Israel will see him with their own eyes, he whom they have pierced. And they will turn to him and trust him as their Lord and their Messiah, and his glory will fill the land. Glory to God. If ever this world needed the light of the world, it's right now. Who would argue that we do not live in a dark world of gross darkness? A world in the West where Christianity has been marginalized, where the institution of the church has constantly been under constant attack in the media, the secular press, and now even the very courts of our land. Gays openly, proudly parade our city streets with banners waving, children being murdered by their parents, parents being murdered by their children. Abortion is at an all-time high. Here's a statistic to absolutely shock you. It shocked me when I read it. Since 1967, the Abortion Act was enacted in Great Britain. Over 8 million, 8 million babies have been aborted. Over 8 million. And here's the shocker, if that's not a big enough shock. 98.4 of them was for no other reason than they were unwanted. Not because of fatal fetal abnormality, not because of rape or incense, not because the mother was in danger, for no other reason than convenience. Eight million. That's how dark this world presently is. And that's only in Great Britain. That's not the rest of the world. License and laws have been relaxed. We look at our television screens. Friday passed, coming up to Christmas is now Black Eye Friday. That's some nickname to give Friday before Christmas, Black Eye Friday, because of the fighting that goes on. Kids as young as 14 are just spiraling out of control and tumbling out of pubs and bars and half naked and half drunk and endangering their lives, drug-taking out of control. But thank God in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of all the death, came Jesus to bring light and to bring life. God sent a great light into this world, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Thank God. Isaiah 61 and 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Hallelujah. If it wasn't for the fact that we know Christ, and we know he's the light of the world, you'd absolutely despair. 
Zion 9 and 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Glory to God. We sang at the beginning of the service that great, wonderful carol. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The soul will never feel its worth until he appears in a person's life. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. And the darkness cannot overcome it. John 1, 5. No matter how dark your night may be, the darkness cannot overcome you. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There will be a turning point in every crisis of your life because the light has come and we have the light. He lives in us by his spirit. Hmm. Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take on to yourselves the whole armor of God. And he equips us and fits us out to fight against the darkness in this world. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And the darkness cannot overcome it. The new King James says the darkness cannot comprehend it. So there's flavors of meaning there. The original word here for comprehend is a few shades of meaning. To take hold of, to grasp mentally, to understand, or to seize hold of with hostility or to overcome, to triumph over. And the darkness cannot, will not triumph over light. <laughs> and that's why ultimately we cannot be defeated. Glory. Because darkness cannot overcome the light that is in you. As long as the light is in you, darkness cannot, will not overcome you. Can somebody say amen to that? You need to know that because there'll be time darkness will come against you and times it will seem overwhelming. But it cannot overcome you because the light in you is greater than the darkness around you. Here's a paradox. How can men who have been given light have no light? Hmm. John Phillips says, Every man, every person, all without distinction, all have some light. 
those who received no written revelation have the light of creation and conscience. That's what we read in Romans 1. But they suppressed it. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. But God gave them some light. <clears throat> but then he says God gave the Jews the added light of covenant and commandment. So to the Jew, the Gentile had the creation and conscience, but the Jew had more than that. He had the covenant and the commandment. So truly, all men are without excuse. No one, he says, escapes one or other of the source of light that God has made available. The Holy Spirit sees to that. God holds people responsible for the light that they do have. So how do men with light have no light? Look at John chapter 1. <coughs> Verse 6 of John 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That, the, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the word was made through him. And the word did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so in verse 10, his own creation did not know him. In verse 11, his own countrymen did not own him. Why? Well, John 3 tells us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deed may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Jesus is the light of the world. He said that himself. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But here's the thing today. Not only is Jesus the light of the world, but you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Right now we... <laughs> are the light of the world. Son of God's gone back, still at the right hand of the Father. But he has lighted us. He's given us the revelation 
So right now, we are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Paul alludes to this in Philippians 2, 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I was driving up the street, I think it was Saturday, Saturday evening, and there was Wilson standing with the eight-foot cross with Christmas tree lights around it. <laughs> so you couldn't miss it. As a witness of the light of the world. But even though he was witness and as Christ is the light of the world, actually, at that moment, he was the light of the world that drove past. Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 8, For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. All of our lives as believers are sending out a signal. What is the signal that it's sending? It's sending somebody a signal somewhere, isn't it? Let's make sure it's the light that they're receiving. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3 and 4. But even if her gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So because we're the light of the world, Paul says, don't hide that light. Jesus says, don't hide your light. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 12 and 13. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Over and over and over and over again, the New Testament declares that we too are the light of the world. Why does the world need you to be the light of the world? Well, the world functions, does it not, by the knowledge of its senses, by the physical, by the material, by the five senses that God has endowed us with. What we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we smell, what we taste. All of those sensory perception organs that we have. Everything we've ever learned comes through that. But the thing is, that's walking by sight, not by faith. And the believer walks by faith, not by sight. So above and beyond that, God has given us another dimension. It's faith. Faith is the currency that God works with. We want to get anything from heaven. It's only going to come through and by faith. Isn't that the case? 
that's the way that it is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man who walks simply by his senses, by his natural thinking, doesn't get it. Unless and until the light shines in their heart. Eve, having heard, having heard the devil come and saying, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Having heard the devil say, God doesn't want you to eat this because he knows when you do, you shall be as God knowing good and evil. <laughs> and then she saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes. And then she took it. She heard, she saw, she touched, she tasted it, and obviously she smelt. Completely controlled and governed by her natural thinking. Now we need all of those senses. We could not fully operate in this world without them. God has given them to us, but we're not governed by them. We're not ruled by them. There's another rule, a higher rule, a greater dimension, faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so men are not satisfied. They're not fulfilled by the natural. Sure they're not. We watch people again and again who's risen to the dizzy heights of fame and fortune. Love it by the whole world. And many of them are as miserable as sin and would say so. There's an emptiness that no matter what they have or what they achieve does not fulfill. They're looking for something more, searching and longing for something deeper, a spiritual realm. And that's why often many of them get into the New Age stuff. They're looking, they're searching for something. The material hasn't satisfied. They reckon there's something better than that. There must be. I've had all of this and I'm not satisfied yet. So they go and search. They're looking for light. Now this is the light, this is the realm where we function, the faith realm. This is the light and the life realm. We have logic, we have rationale, we have senses, we have feeling, we have all those, but we're not governed by them. The believer in Christ is governed by the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Romans 8 and 2. So what are the results of shining your light before man? Light exposes, doesn't it? It exposes. And if our light exposes, that's good. I remember before I became a believer, the place where I was working it was a big factory. And uh, we all had lockers at the end of our shift to put our stuff in for the next day. And mine just so happened, my locker was just underneath a believer's locker. Lovely Baptist man. Precious saint of God. And I was brought up in a Christian home, but I hadn't been professing to be a believer. 
And when it came to that locker and my locker and his locker, now, you may say, well, this is just a, a little thing. It, it's neither here nor there. But sometimes in the shift, there was a little card school. We weren't even gambling. We <laughs> were just playing cards. <laughs> devil's cards. <laughs> That's what, in our generation, the Christians used to call devil's cards because <laughs> they're always associated with gambling. And I had a pack of them. And this is the truth. When it came to putting those devil's cards into the logger, if Sam had been there beside me, I wouldn't have put them in. I felt guilty. I really did. I felt guilty. I felt I was exposed. <laughs> you say, well, it's not. Yeah, I was, but me, I felt exposed. But that was the Holy Spirit doing something to my conscience. Because he was a man who had light. And I wasn't walking on the light, let me tell you. I felt exposed by that. So light exposes. It convicts. It challenges. And that's why sometimes in your workplace, there's an againstness towards you sometimes. Well, if you're going to be an ignoramus and you're just going to be rude and all of that, well, you deserve all you get, frankly. But if you're not like that, and you're just a believer, and you're living out your life in front of everybody, sometimes there's somebody will come against you, and they don't even know why. But it's this light and darkness thing. And it's exposing. And it's showing up. Light transforms. Light brings life. You know, that Friday night... I finally made my way to the bedroom without hitting my shins. Got into bed, still couldn't sleep. Lying there thinking about all these things. But it's pitch black. Boy, are you glad when the morning comes. You wouldn't want that to last a long time. Sally's brother-in-law he was showering one night, having a shower, and uh, he had put the shampoo in his hair and he was rinsing it and it got into his eyes. And uh, he shouted, he couldn't see. He got into his eyes and he couldn't see. And he shouted to his wife, he says, I'm blind, I'm blind. No, no, he was showering, that was it. He was showering and it was in his eyes now, but the lights went off on that right side. The lights went off. And he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. He says, he said, I'm blind, I'm blind, I can't see, I'm blind. I says, you're an idiot, the lights is out. <laughs> Aren't you glad for the light? Even natural light. Aren't you glad for it? It brightens everything. It lightens everything. You can see everything. Light transforms it transforms life, it transforms plants, it transforms everything. We need the light. Someone said, don't expect God to use you as a lighthouse somewhere else if he can't use you as a candle where you are. See, you may look at somebody else somewhere else and say, wouldn't it be great to be in that position or be that person, have that ability boy, my light would really shine if I was there. 
why don't you let it shine where you are? It may not be as bright as theirs or as big as theirs or as bold as theirs, but let it shine where you are. You may not have the courage to get a big eight-foot cross and put lights on it and stand in the middle of Moyer Main Street. You may not have got the courage to do that. But Wilson Archer can't walk into your office next Monday morning with that big cross and stand there as a witness to those workers. But you're there with your candle, with your little light, and you can let it shine for Jesus, can't you? You can let it shine for him exactly where you are. Just be a light. Simeon recognized the light of the world. Never realized fully what Christ would do. Never realized in a million years that Christ would raise up a multitude of lights all over the world to lighten the darkness. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.